in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. Folks, we're back with 20 questions. It's been a while. I've been doing the uh, Sober October updates as well as the three and out fantasy football shows. But we are back with 20 questions and it's a big, big show tonight. You should see the studio audience. They are wrapped with anticipation. I was lucky enough to take an improv class from the Upright Citizens Brigade recently. And our guest tonight was in the class with me. And from the very first moment uh, of the class, when I got a chance to meet him virtually, of course, uh, his talent, personality, his sense of humor were obvious. Uh, He made the class a lot more fun. It was actually an incredible group of people, you know, and, and these are really interesting times that we're in. And being able to enjoy yourself for a couple hours each week with a group of like-minded individuals uh, that just want to laugh and have a good time and be goofy, it's really a gift. And this guy really helped make that possible. Again, the whole class was amazing. And I'm very, very happy to have a member of that class on the show. So without any further ado, please welcome to the No Outlet Podcast, Stan, the man, Ferguson. (laughs) Hi. Hey, Stan. Thank you. <laughs> how are you, man? Hey, how are you doing? Good, good, good. So we're going to play a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts in the exact same place, and that's with question number one. Question number one, what are your thoughts on UFOs and aliens being currently among us? <laughs> um, I think it would be really rad if uh, they take a moment to to you know, show themselves, say hi, and maybe, uh, maybe be like, you know what? This is how we do it, baby. So they should show themselves, uh, basically. Like, get, get yeah. it up, give it share, up, come out. Yep. Share their technology, share their advancements. You know, it'd be great. So here's here's a premise for you. What if, first of all, mm-hmm. I think that'd be great, too. That'd be totally rad. What if they've already done that? What if all, because if you think about the advancements in technology, like it wasn't too long ago that, you know, we were driving around in horse and buggy and we had no electricity. And now literally every one of us has a supercomputer in our pocket that can access any information we ever wanted. What if they've already been here, they've cloaked themselves and they've secretly and steadily, but rapidly in some places added the advancements to our technology mindset without us even realizing it. Not enough, I say. I say, come out and say, hey, here's where we are. This is, this is how we do interstellar light travel. <laughs> or faster than light travel. This is, this, you know, yeah. I mean, when, when, uh, when we traveled the world, we brought these giant boats. And those, those places didn't have those giant boats. Like, now they see the giant boats. They can see how it's done. Yeah. Everyone can travel. It's just like, you know, it's not enough to introduce something, especially since it can easily be construed as like just normal technological development. I mean, think about electricity, right? And this is something I just learned a couple of years ago. All electricity is generated ultimately through various uh, ways of spinning a crank. That's right. Like I, I used to think that nuclear, uh, I mean, I just had it in my mind. I never knew. I thought like with nuclear, uh, power plant like literally took the irradiation and made it into electricity right. but no they just boil water with 
a radioactive metal to create steam that spins a freight. It's still a turbine. Yeah, it's still a turbine. Yeah, it's still, yeah. still a turbine. Yeah. It's got to be like, how are we not like harnessing electricity from lightning bolts and just like storing it, hmm. you know, and then using it? But I don't know enough about AC, DC, and all that stuff, you know, to come up with it myself. I mean, smarter minds than mine know why it can't work. Right. But it just it, it boggles my mind that this is late 19th century technology that still hasn't really been improved upon or changed in any way. Interesting. Okay, so Stan wants proof, and, and I accept that answer. I think that's a good and fair answer. Question number two, when and where was the first time that you saw a live improv show? Ooh, the first time I saw a live improv show? Sadly, oh wait, no, it was back in 2004 or 2005, and it was a small little black box theater mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. I can't remember exactly which neighborhood. I think it was Westwood. Okay. Do you but I didn't the... know enough about improv to really pay attention to the details. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's that's fair. Uh, so let's take that as a, as a as a foundational starting point. So you see your first live improv show, call it 2005 Los Angeles, who knows exactly where or who. But how did you know or, or, or when did you know, uh, when did you realize, probably the best way to put it, um, that improv was something more than just something that you were interested in watching and seeing, but rather in something that you wanted to practice and participate and get good at? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I was, I would watch whose line is it anyway, which is short form improv. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought all improv was until I actually saw the show in Los Angeles. Sure. And they weren't doing any of those games. They were just doing it on stage. Um, and I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't, I always like playing short form games because they're essentially parlor games. Mm-hmm. They're fun to do. Anyone can do it. Um, I mean, it's better if you actually know the fundamentals, clearly. Right. But anyone can hop up and do the game. Um, but it was when I was listening to the uh, Good Place podcast. Yep. And I had already been listening to Comedy Bang Bang for a while. But uh, Mark Evan Jackson hosts the Good Place podcast, and he was saying in just about every episode that he felt like everyone should take uh, Improv 101. Yeah. So finally, I I don't know why, I I was like, yeah, that would be fun, right? And I did. I signed up for a level one improv class here in Nashville. That's cool. Yeah, no, and I, and I just, a quick note on the, the, the concept of everybody taking 101. I, I think that it's an absolute... Uh, fact that it helps you in a lot of different ways. I think people that are in business, in any kind of public service, people that are parents, people that, you know, um, are getting older. I, I think that there are so many uses for it. Really what it is, it's you're exercising uh, your mind in the same way that you would go to the gym and exercise your body. Um, and, and I think that obviously you can do a lot more with an exercise mind and with one that's not being exercised. So, so that's cool. So you've done both improv and, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is you've done both improv and sketch comedy. And my question is, which one do you prefer? Um, well, 
sketch comedy. Yeah, I took some classes, and I'm actually going to be, I'm just a guest before I didn't write a sketch show here in Nashville on the 18th. But um, I, I'm i going to be painfully honest. I prefer improv. Okay. Simply because uh, I don't have to memorize anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's, there's really no prep. Nope. Yeah. You just go up and do it. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've got a great group that you can trust, you know, it's going to be at least a decent show. Yeah. And you know what? If it's not, it's okay because everybody kind of knows that there's going to be times where you knock it out of the park and times where it's not so great. And it's the greatest thing. Cause you can just kind of throw that away and then you start another one and let's see what happens this time. And it's, it's all good. Exactly. Yeah. And you, and you lift those hits and so does the audience. That's right. Um, okay. Next question. Do the ends justify the means? Oh, um, I think a lot depends on what the ends are okay, and how much means you're willing to put up with. So let's say all right, so that's a fair qualifying question. Let, let, and, and obviously the most overused example of this, and I try to ask this question as many times as I can, but it's the baby Hitler example, right? So uh, if you could have an opportunity to cease the life of baby Hitler and save the lives of millions of people and avoid the atrocities of World War, you know, one and two, uh, would you do it? And so I think that's kind of an extreme benchmark, but it's a benchmark right. nonetheless where you're killing a baby. So I think it, with that as the, the the place to start with, do the ends justify the means? Would you, Stan Ferguson, kill baby Hitler? Uh, no, but I would kill eighth grade Hitler. Because ah. let's face it, all these big boys are douchebags. I like that. I like that. <laughs> That's a good answer. Okay. Um, were you involved in the drama department in your high school or junior high, or was performing something that you kind of just gained interest in, you know, kind of later in life once you were out of uh, school, so to speak? Um, yes. Uh, my high school, when I was in it, didn't have much of a drama department. The first year, there was literally nothing my freshman year um and uh my sophomore year there we did one show and it was the very end and i was the only guy who auditioned and it was for a play that had uh 10 male roles and or nine male roles and two uh female roles and wow i was the only guy who auditioned it ended up being vice versa with the uh, student director's boyfriend just by default because he'd show up to rehearsal being the other guy. Sure. And uh, that was kind of funny. And I got to leave, like I said, by default. Um, <laughs> uh, then I started uh, doing plays at a local all-girl Catholic school that put out audition notices in the paper mm -hmm. and I got really involved there because I, was, I met my high school girlfriend in that show. So I was actually more involved in their drama program than I was in my own high school drama program. Gotcha. Simply due to the fact that it barely existed. Right. Right. 
So, so the answer is really it kind of developed. I mean, there were there were touches of it, but really, I mean, you're right into it now. So it's fair to say that that happened kind of later on. Right. Well, um, I did do a lot of community theater since then. Okay. Yeah. Um, throughout the years, I've tried to dip in here and there. And then sometimes because I was a nurse, sure. for years I would work weekends, so I wouldn't even be able to do theater at yep. all. Um, and there was a while where I just refused to do any any of it for a few years. And then I, that was mostly for my 30s right there. Um, gotcha. But I always uh, I always enjoyed doing it, and I always regretted not pursuing it uh, because I was afraid. I was afraid of not having a stable job. I was afraid of disappointing my parents. Right. Um, that I, I didn't try to pursue it more uh, uh, more seriously in my 20s. Like I keep saying, if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, yeah. wouldn't everyone love to do that? Right, right. I would have uh, moved to Chicago right after high school and studied at uh, Improv Olympics. And had I done that, that was uh, 1995 that I graduated. I would be in. I would be studying with uh, with the UCB four, wow. including Amy Poehler. I would be studying under uh, Del Close, you know, the guy who is pretty much credited for UCB game sale, game salad. Sure. Damn! Wow, so that's that interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But. Hindsight 2020. It sure is. It sure is. It always is. Um, okay, so let's just say, hypothetically, of course, that you're stranded on a deserted island. And this isn't just any deserted island. You've automatically got a never-ending supply of clean water. There are no predators above you on the food chain. Um, and there's plenty of food, okay? So right. you, you can live. And oddly enough, the other weird thing about this island is that you're allowed to have one catalog, complete catalog of a TV show, any show, you're allowed to have one book and you're allowed to have one complete catalog of any musical artist. What are your TV show, book, and artist? Ooh. Uh, what TV show would I pick? Um, I want something with a lot of seasons. Yep, totally. So I don't get bored. <laughs> uh, rewatching them, so I'm gonna have to go with uh, as much as I love other shows more. They're just too short. Uh, I'd have to go with Cheers. Cheers, dig it. I yeah. like that. Where everyone knows yeah, your name. Good, uh, yep, a lot of seasons, a lot of episodes, a lot of variety. Yeah, I'd miss my. I have a preference for single camera that comes over multi-camera film before a live studio audience camera, but in Cheers, the laughter is never can. The jokes are actually funny, and the cast is amazing. True. All true. And the jokes not being canned, that's a big one for me. It's hard to stomach canned laughter. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we got your TV show, and that's a good choice. Yeah. So Cheers, um, next up, I have a book. What book would I get? Ooh. Not a series of books, just one book. 
That's right. One singular book. It's a weird honor. Uh, you know, uh, since I would get bored of reading one book over and over again, I would uh, get a book. I would get uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. There you go. Not because I like the book, but because when I first read the book, it took me a year to finish it because <laughs> I fell asleep on every single page. Yeah. And there's about 365 pages of that book. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it would uh, be a guaranteed sleep aid on my, on my island. Love it. Um, and as for musical artist, that's a tough one because every single musical artist I really got into mm-hmm. at any stage of my life, I've gotten out of. Oh. Um, I, I like like little bits of things here and there. So, um, I'm going to have to get choose something that'll give me some variety. It'll be a lot of stuff that I don't like, but I can pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go with uh, musical composer Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, fucking nice idea. I like that. Andrew Lloyd Webber. A plus. All right. Um, <laughs> you got a lot to work with there. And I think that's, I mean, I would have to pick something that I haven't heard a million times. Like, I, you know, because there are some groups that I've listened to their entire catalog over and over and over again, and I get it. And I'd almost right. want to pick something that was a little bit harder to listen to, harder to dissect. So, and but I, but I wasn't totally into, and I didn't know back and front. And Andrew Lloyd Webber has a deep, deep catalog, so that's good. Next question: Do you believe in the multiverse? Uh, I believe that it's theoretically possible okay. and even likely, uh, but without a way to actually measure it yet, uh, you know, it doesn't, it ultimately doesn't, it doesn't matter if I believe in it or not. Okay. Um, because if I believe in it, it's not going to make itself present to me. And if I don't believe in it, it's not going to make itself present to me. That's true. So, uh, I like I like I like it as a story concept. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's a great story concept, and I will always be interested in multiverse things because that is a legit sci-fi concept. Uh, and as it, as it stands, you know, there's no way to prove it wrong. Um, so it just it, it exists as a concept that doesn't matter if I believe in it or not, but I like it. Okay, so you're you're supportive of the idea that it it may be true, yet you're indignant because what difference does it make? Exactly. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so uh, obviously, recently, everybody who wants to get involved with improv, for the most part, uh, certainly when COVID first started, it was all online and through Zoom. And I remember when I first took my very first online improv class i was not looking forward to it i thought it was going to be terrible um i almost didn't do it and i ended up doing it through a different uh company and had a blast and my question to you is do you think that while it's limiting in many ways to do it online and do it through zoom as opposed to you know you can't do the the physical comedy that you would if you were live and a lot of other aspects are more difficult more challenging 
Do you think that it's opened up new improv skills that maybe would not be cultivated if you were live in person? I think, I think yes. And I think it's something that we already knew existed or not we, but has, I've known it's existed for a while. And so have other, you know, fans of the podcast Improper Humans. Mm-hmm. Improper Humans is a podcast started by one of the UCB4, Matt Besser, uh, which is, you know, uh, they do it in a studio, but they're sitting down at microphone mm-hmm. doing improv. <laughs> and there's really no difference aside from, you know, being able to be in the same room, look at each other in the eye, but you're not doing object work. Mm-hmm. You're not doing anything physical. You're just using your mind. In this case, you don't even have the screen or yeah. camera. You just you're using your mind and you're building a character and you're you're describing scenes. And that was all being done since Improper Human started, I think back in 2010. So the foundation was already there. Um, all they had to do when the uh, pandemic hit was say, okay. We're going to do this, but we're going to add in some, you know, camera tricks. This is how we're going to do it so they can be done on Zoom. So um, I I, uh, I feel what it's done is something that should have been done years ago. Okay. Which was online improv classes. People want to do wanted people wanted to do UCD classes, but who can afford to move or even just stay? in Los Angeles or New York for yeah. a while and take those classes. That's a good point. Um, so now you can. So it's, it's really kind of uh, democratized it in that, that aspect. Um, and a lot of those UCD teachers have split off and created their own schools uh, or they're using the schools in tandem with UCD and that'd be a, a place like a World's Greatest Improv School, WGIS, mm-hmm. which is started by Will Hines. Uh, and uh, things like that really help build uh, an international community of improvisers, and that's been an amazing thing. Yeah, and it's a shame that it requires a worldwide pandemic to make that happen. True. Yeah. No, I like that. And you know, the reality is that <clears throat> I know a lot of the people that took you know, UCB classes were in the same boat as me, which is that if there weren't online classes available, I would not have been able to, I would have had to go to some facsimile in, you know, an hour and a half away from me in Boston or some local, you know, some local troupe that's doing it that obviously, I mean, taking nothing away from local improv troops, but the, the skill of the, you know, instructors at UCB is clearly, you know, superior, I, I think, to people that are, you know, just local performers. So you're absolutely right. right. I think it opened up a huge, uh, you know, cross-pollination is always good, sharing ideas, sharing methods, sharing talent sets. Um, and that wouldn't have happened if it didn't, you know, if we didn't have COVID. Right. Yeah, I dig that. Okay. Um, so with that said, perfect segue to the next question. Do you prefer <laughs> performing in front of a live audience or do you prefer, prefer performing online? Uh, as Dan, I haven't performed in front of a live audience outside of jam. Okay. And our jams here in Nashville are primarily, well, they say for one, they've all been short form. Gotcha. Um, 
So I don't yet know the feeling of performing in front of a, a live paying audience. Um, sure. So uh, I do know that doing it online, which I've been doing for a while now, <laughs> yep. is easy for me because there is no visible audience. Um, I'm just trying to make my fellow improvisers laugh and mm. hope, you know, yeah, and 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 have them make me laugh, which too often happens that I, I chuckle or burst out and laugh during the scene. Right, <laughs> right. But uh, you know, um, I, I I really need the experience of uh, of having that audience in front of me and seeing what that's like. Uh, and I don't think that's going to be something that I really get in the improv world. Uh, at least for another, I guess, uh, six months to a year. Yeah. Uh, and that has nothing to do with COVID as, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of teams here in Nashville. Right. And it's a matter of uh, auditioning and, and hopefully getting in. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I, I hear that. So maybe I'll, we'll, we'll check back in in a couple of years and I'll ask you the same question. <laughs> <laughs> um do you remember, so this is more of a, like a, a philosophical sense of humor question. So you, do you remember going way back in time to when you were a, a young kid, the first movie or TV show that you saw and, and aside from like stupid cartoons, like forget cartoons, but like, a, like something that was written by adults with people acting that was supposed to be funny when you realized, oh, okay, that's funny. And I understand why it's funny. Like I get it. Like you get the joke, like, cause there's three stooges. It's funny cause they're poking each other in the eye and they're falling down and the hammer falls in the head. And that's pretty self-explanatory. But what was the first thing you remember seeing that you were like, Oh, I get the joke. Like that's, that's funny because he did this and said, then he said that, Oh, I get it. Like, what was that first experience for you? I don't know what the, what the joke would have been, but I know that it would likely have had been from here. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cheers started in 1982. Uh, at that point, I was four to five, and my uh, I know there were lots of TV shows I watched. Cheers uh, was there from the time I was five uh, to the time that I was, I think, fifteen. Yep. Um, and it was consistent. Uh, and it was, you know, it was the, the humor that I really liked. Like, I could miss any show. It didn't matter. Yeah. But I never missed Cheers. Gotcha. And when it came up on uh, reruns, I would always watch it. It was my show. And I, I couldn't tell you, like I said, the, the, the first joke on it, because a lot of that, you know, I'm laughing as a, as a kid because... Sure. Um Shelly Lawn was such a talented physical comedian and uh, the Sam and Diane character would, would do a lot of physical jokes but right. obviously Cheers was all about physical jokes you had Carla making fun of people you had uh, Cliff saying dumb things I do remember at one point realizing oh Cliff says things that are obviously wrong or he makes points that are obvious yes um, that, you know, that seemed like a revelation to him. Right. And, uh, 
I started being able to pick out what was, I guess now I could define it as each character's game. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to date myself a little bit as being a tad older than you, but Cheers was definitely a show I watched from start to finish too. But I remember MASH, Barney Miller, and, you know, forgive my parents for taking me there. But when I was seven, I saw Animal House. Um, and uh, probably shouldn't have seen it, but I saw it. Um, it all worked out. It's okay, mom. Um, so, but, but those, you know, those TV shows that were all on, you know, in that time period, um, you know, welcome back Cotter, mash Barney Miller. I just thought those were hilarious. I watched them with my dad and, you know, and being next to an adult kind of helps you get clued into what's funny and why too. It was almost like he was deciphering some of the. Uh, the jokes for me. And that certainly helped fast forward it. And then animal house is just a classic. So, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Uh, once I would ask why something was funny in tears and if it was too adult, they would actually explain it to me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. The, the, the decoder ring of having an adult in the room. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. Does a stitch in time always save nine? <sighs> no, sometimes it saves. Only seven or eight. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me, so a stitch in time always saves something. <laughs> I generally, yeah. I mean, otherwise why would we do the stitch in time? Well, that's it. Right. So I, and I, it, you know, I heard that saying a million times and I never gave it a second thought. And then I finally was one day like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, what is that? And obviously it's, you know, if you've got something that's starting to fall apart, but not quite yet falling apart, uh, and you do a little bit of a stitch that might take a little bit of time. You've got that thing that was falling apart for a lot longer. Whereas if you wait and it completely falls apart, then you are going to have to put a lot more than a couple stitches in, whether it's time or money or some other increment of investment. So, um, yeah, I think it's universal. A stitch in time saves something. Uh, I think we've re, we've re-swizzled that. Same. Right. Yeah. Other than that, if you don't, then it's not a stitch in time. Well, that's it. Right now. That's right. Exactly right. Um, okay, so uh, I like to ask people for their Mount Rushmore of blank. Might be Mount Rushmore of beer, of food, of whatever. I'm going to ask you, and All obviously right. my, Mount Rushmore for you know privileged white guys up on a mountain in one of the Dakotas. I forget which one. Um, and, and I'm going to ask you your Mount Rushmore of improv performers. Ooh. I mean, it'd be so easy to say the UCD4, right? But uh, let's see here. Um, it's going to be my personal Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can ignore the founders. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Will Hines, okay. Sean Diston, uh, I'm stuck between Lily Sullivan or Edie Patterson. Um, uh, Lily Sullivan. Edie Patterson's been around a lot longer, but Lily Sullivan always cracked me up. Um, and see who be my fourth. So time, distance, Patterson, not Patterson, no, Sullivan, and um, Carl Tart. Who was yeah, the last one? Got that, Carl Tart. Carl Tart. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to give you five. I'm going to let you keep all five up there because uh, you were having a tough time deciding between Lily and Evie. So they're both up. Okay, sure. All right. All right. So uh, the best musical concert that you've ever attended. Oh, ooh, this is depressing. I haven't been to many. It's okay. And uh, my first musical concert was a new kids on the block. Well, not that. Well, <laughs> yeah. I fucking love that. NKOBT. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was 12, and uh, my sister had gotten front row seats from a scouter. Um, my parents forced her to take me because they thought that she bought them from a scalper, took a ton of money, and they were like, no, you're not going to take your friend. You're going to take your little brother. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, it's a great, it's a great way to, to meet out of punishment, I think. Yep, yep. Um, so, let's see here. Uh, so, best concert would have been, I think, the last Dave Matthews Band concert. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, no, wait. Okay, Oh, I'm shit. waiting. It was Van Halen, but not because of Van Halen. They were fine. It was their opening act. Which I didn't go to see, but we were there. Uh, you know, we're going to do the whole thing. Sure. It was cool in the game. Oh, no fucking way. Was not expecting the best concert I've ever seen in my life to be cool in the game because, you know, I only knew cool in the game in their cheesy 80s phase. Cool with a K. Uh, I was only mildly introduced to their cool funk phase of the 70s because of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And that's what the entire concert was. They did do celebrate, but uh, they didn't do a lot of their slow '80s jams. In fact, I don't think they did any of their slow '80s jams. It was a funk concert from start to finish. Yeah. And by the time they finished uh, their set, the entire arena was into it. At first, everyone was like, "Why the hell is Cool and the Gang opening for Van Halen?" Right. By the time they finished, the crowd was more hydrant I think they were for the rest of the class. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about that is David Lee Roth is, and and other members of Van Halen have gone on record saying that the the genesis of Van Halen when it was just him and Eddie and Alex trying to figure the shit out, they would go to funk shows. They would go to see Earth, Wind and Fire, they'd go to see Cool and the Gang. They'd go to see these, you know, these um these bands that were not heavy metal bands, but were more, you know, putting on a good show, making good music. And they turned that energy and, and some of the cadence of their riffs, you can kind of see it, but they turned it Mm -hmm. into the metal that was happening at the same time. So it's not surprising that they picked them to open for them because that's kind of where they got their DNA from some of their DNA. So that, that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, That's very cool. Go ahead. I was saying, I was agreeing. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. I dig it. Um, okay, so when you're not learning uh, or performing improv or sketch comedy, uh, what do you do with your free time? What, what does Stan Ferguson like to do? Ooh, um, I used to do TV theater. Yep. Um, but I don't know if I'll ever have time to get back into that if, once it reopens. Uh, it has not reopened yet here right. where I live um, because the, the primary audience is old people. <laughs> right, right. 
Um, let's see here. Um, outside of that, mostly I if it's, if the sun is out, then I'm playing video games, and if the sun is down, I'm watching TV. Okay. So wintertime, yeah. lots of movie watching. Yeah. Summertime, lots of video game playing. It's really weird. I have no idea why I do that. Well, because you like it. I mean, that's that's why. It's simple as that, you know. And um, and I dig it. What's your what's your video game of choice right now? Right now, I've been playing uh, something called Divinity: Original Sin Two. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'll have to admit, I I. I, my knowledge of arcade games, it kind of, there's a big gap. So I was really into it with the arcade, like with the Atari and the arcade scene in the early 80s. Like I had, you know, all the Atari games. And I actually am looking in my basement right now. I have uh, a Pac-Man. It's got like 60 games on it, Pac-Man, Centipede, all those games. And then there was a big oh, nice. gap where I kind of lost touch with video games. And then I had a kid and my son, um, great kid he was really into video games and so he got you know the wii and then the game game boy wii xbox all that stuff and he ended up playing very advanced games that made me feel incredibly old because every time that i would try to (laughs) grab the xbox controller and attempt to play with him it was i was lost i just could not do anything and i and i just felt like man i am just more of a joystick person like i can handle a joystick one stick one button i can do that i can even do like the intellivision where you got a couple of buttons and a directional arrow but the minute you start having like you know eight different things and you have to shift and then push this button it's like i'm out i just can't do it yeah um i i got really into i would have i would say i was a hardcore gamer in my 20s mm-hmm. which that would have started in 1997 um, so I really got into it. I think that was when the game GameCube, the Nintendo GameCube came sure. out. I didn't even get a PlayStation Two for a while, or I never. No, I did get an Xbox, the original Xbox, for a short while, but I gave it to friends because I didn't like it. Yep. But uh, I loved the GameCube, and uh, I really liked the PS Two, and then from that point on. Uh, I had the PS3, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, I didn't care for the Wii. Um, and then from the PS3, I moved on to PC gaming. Yeah, sure. And uh, as I've gotten older, my reflexes, I just, I'm not going to get on there and be any kind of competition to a 12 to, you know, 20 something year old uh, player. Right. right. You know, who's grown up on this stuff, and they're just like have these really fast twitch reflexes, and I don't have that. I get busy and want to throw up. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. The, the games I play generally tend to be turn based because I can just walk away. Yeah. Um, never stop in the middle of doing something. Press save, walk away, or just walk away. That's it. The game will wait for me. I dig it. I dig that. I wish I was better at video games, the new ones, because they look amazing, like Grand Theft Auto. They all look so cool, but I just I can't, I can't do it. Um, yeah. Okay, so we are at the last question, my friend. Here we are. Question right number 20. All right. Yep. All right. So, and it's more of a, I, I, I want to get your opinion on, on, on an opinion that I have. So I feel like, again, back to one of the things we said earlier in the conversation, which is, um, you know, I, 
the the whole idea of exercising your mind, you can do it a lot of different ways. Reading is exercising your mind, no doubt about it. Math, Sudoku, all those things. But I feel like improv with another group of human beings, um, you know, I think that's an advanced level of mental gymnastics, if you will. And I think yeah. it, it absolutely helps you to engage more with people. Um, it helps to be, you know, you can start conversations. So if you're in a, again, if you're in a business setting, a social setting, it almost doesn't matter what the setting, if you're meeting, uh, you know, relatives for the first time, if you're meeting relatives, that you only see once every couple of years, like it just makes every day being a human easier. And I started thinking like, what if, and then you, I, I think about like, you know, older people, people that are, you know, the, the champions of our, of mm. our country, people that went to world war two, people that were other veterans, people that have just paved the way for us to live the life we live right now. And they start to suffer from mental decline. And I think some of that mental decline is because, you know, people retire and all of a sudden, instead of having to solve problems at work and figure things out at home, they're kind of just in cruise mode. And I often wonder, like, if there's a medicinal benefit for people that are, you know, getting on, you know, in age, you know, call it 75 plus, call it any, any age you feel like it's appropriate to call it. If they started doing, you know, improv with other people their age, so they don't feel intimidated, they don't feel like they're being, you know, run circles around, but just other peer group, you know, uh, you know, organization of, of peer groups so that they're having that ability to, to volley back and forth mentally. I wonder if that would, I, well, I, sh- I should say that a different way. I believe that it would change somebody's decline. It wouldn't maybe erase it in some advanced or serious cases, but I think that it could certainly help. And I think that, you know, uh, it's easy to do, especially now we're going back to the benefits of it being online, right? Well, all right. of a sudden now there's, there's a whole network of people out there that are at home. You know, they may be afraid to go out because they don't want to get sick and they're just sitting there. And, and I think that this would help their mental state. I would think to help their, their well-being in general. And I wanted to see how you felt about that premise. I think it's definitely worth a, a look um, for sure. I think uh, I remember when my, this was uh, 15 years ago, uh, there was a, the brain games were coming out on yeah. the Nintendo DS. And, uh, you know, I would, I, I would have my mom play. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I always think that anything, the, the brain's not a muscle, uh, but it's an organ. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, I think, like anything, you've got to keep, um, you got to keep it engaged. You've right. got to keep thinking uh, for it to work its best. Um, and I think improv is, I agree with you 100%, improv is a great way to keep your brain engaged. I mean, active listening is so difficult. You never realize how difficult active listening can be until you're in the improv team. Yeah. And you've got to listen to everything your partner says while thinking about future moves and reactions. Yeah. Um, and you're juggling all those things, you know, until eventually they become second nature. Uh, and that takes years until it becomes second nature. So, right. uh, Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it deserves to be looked at at the very least because uh, I agree it, it could, uh, I, if someone's got a brain, you know, or, or organic brain disease, I don't think it'll do a whole lot because that's you know, true. Yeah. That's just, you know, but even you know, just for typical, depression, you know what I mean? Even for gentlemen just got general malaise. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see a lot of people who like my parents who've been married and together forever 
and they don't talk to each other. <laughs> you know, right, right. Uh, my dad would watch TV all day, and my mom's like, "What is watching for conversation?" Um, it's just a it, you need community and you need engagement, and I think uh, you know not just that, but uh, you know, uh, brain you know brain games. I think improv is a brain game uh, would be a fantastic way of. Uh, of doing that, and you know, and maybe even in some cases, and there may be some medicinal effort, or at least, uh, you know, how someone has like uh, Lou Gehrig's disease or some sort of muscular dystrophy. Uh, when what the thing that you do to prolong their life is just you know work their muscles so they atrophy slower. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to stop it, but it's going to give the person a little bit longer of a life. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. And and I wish you could see our studio audience uh, stand because they're on their feet. They're doing the wave. They've got big, huge flags that say, stand the man. They're so excited. Um, it was my pleasure to have you wow. on the show. Yeah, it's it's a standing O. It's a standing O. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you taking the time out to play my silly game of 20 questions. And I hope that no matter what you do next, you have fun doing it. And uh, keep me posted on your on your um, your next improv performances. I'd love to see you online sometime. Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Ethan. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. See ya.